0: My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors on on staff here. And uh, one of the things about me is I love movies and I love going to the movies. I love spending tons of money and buying large popcorns and a large drink. And I want and I get there 20 minutes early to see that weird lady give you commercials for shows on TNT and then the previews and then the movie, the whole thing. I love it. And left to my own devices, I like seeing uh, John Wick. I'm seeing Kong later this week. Um, those are my kind of movies, you know? I like to just go and watch people get uh, blown to bits and uh, the, the guy win the woman and the whole thing. But I also am a Renaissance man, and uh, I want to be cultured, and I want to know what's going on in the world around me. And so once a year, it's the Academy Awards time. And, uh, and so I go, oh, my goodness, here's the six or seven movies I've never seen or heard of before, and I should probably know what cultured people are watching and seeing. And so I go and I watch them all, and I go, oh, I'm so cultured. Well, um, one of the movies that I, I did watch uh, in that stream to try to get caught up for the Oscars last week uh, was um, Manchester by the Sea. And I don't know if you saw that movie or not. Um, Casey Affleck won Best uh, Actor in it. And it was just this compelling, compelling movie. I sat uh, f- just fixated on, the, on, on my TV when I watched it. And it was just mesmerized by the story, this character, Casey Affleck. And he's living his life. And uh, it just has every bad thing you can imagine. And not just bad. Horrific. Like, think of all of your worst days, and this is like 10 times worse. And uh and and well, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm not gonna this is no spoilers, so it's not the kind of movie, but his brother dies and he goes to and he's he's tasked with caring for his nephew. And um and he's been taken care of financially. Uh he's everything's all set up and he goes to sit with his to, to take care of his nephew. And he just can't do it. And at the end of the movie, he, there's this, it's like the climax. But whatever the opposite of climax is, that's the, the low max of this movie. Where Casey Affleck is sitting with his nephew. And his nephew's like, so are you going to do it? Are we going to live here? Are we going to live life together? And, uh, and this is Casey Affleck's uh, response. I know, even watching it again, I'm like, oh. He had everything. All this finances taken care of all of his housing taken care of, his job taken care of, and all he had to do was say yes to care for his nephew. And I love that line, I can't beat it. And I remember watching that, um, going, oh my gosh, that's in me. Like at my lowest low, at my most broken, at my most depressed, at my most anxious, I just think, I can't beat it. And I don't know if you've ever walked through a season like that, and it's just constricting you, and you cannot breathe, and you cannot move, and you're paralyzed, you just think, I cannot beat it. And that's the human condition. I think part of the reason why this, that movie got so many awards is like, oh my goodness, that is a picture of the human condition. And unlike the movies I like, there's no happily ever after. The movie just ends. And you're like, what? Because we need, in our soul, in the way that God designed us, we need a happily ever after. And when I watched that, for a moment, I was like, I can't beat it. I'm stuck, I'm paralyzed. This is the best you're going to get of me forever and ever. And thankfully, I came to my senses a little bit of time afterwards, but it took longer than I was actually comfortable with. And I realized, oh my goodness, I can beat it. We as the church, we can beat it. Because our inner brokenness, our inner destruction is not the end of the story. But we have hope in our faith in Jesus Christ. I love the psalmists because the psalmists don't mess around. Like their stuff would never get printed at Christian bookstores across America. Their stuff is just brutal. One verse does, but not the good stuff. I love this. At the end of Psalm 43, it says this. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? I go, yes. Why? These things I'm feeling, this anxiety, right, this overwhelmingness, I can't beat it. Why? But then it ends, the whole psalm is this. But put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And why I'm a Christian, why I love Jesus, why I can't believe that God invited me to do ministry, is for this sole idea that we cannot beat it, that we are broken and we are bottomed out and there's nothing we can do. I mean, we can white knuckle it, we can fake it, we can self-medicate, we can do all these things, but at the end of the day, we cannot beat it. And yet God intervenes in that moment and gives us hope. He invites us into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus, who is our Savior in our God, and who sets the whole new path in front of us. So, no matter how much you can resonate with that moment, Casey Affleck saying, "I cannot beat it." No matter where you are at in that moment, whether that's a distant memory or today, we have this hope that our faith is in Jesus, that we're invited into this relationship with God, where He molds us, and He shapes us, and He transforms us. Now I'm so excited our our lead pastor team has come up with a really great series for Lent. And for Lent, when we think about how do we grow in our walk with God, how do we move towards our walk with God, it begins with prayer, It begins with actually engaging in God. And prayer is just simply talking with God, walking with God. But how do we do that? And the the title of the series is Then So, or um, How Then Should We Pray? So with all of the chaos in the world, all the chaos in our life, all the goodness of God, all the power of God, and we are in this middle ground, how then should we pray? And so for all of Lent, for the next six Sundays, we are going to unpack the Lord's Prayer verse by verse. We are just going to dive deep into every statement and see, God, what do you have for me in that statement? So that your prayers, our engagement with you, Can actually mold us and shape us. And so, like the psalmist says, when we are saying, How am I so downcast? Why am I why am I so disturbed? We say, We will put our hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter six, for we're gonna be spending the next six weeks unpacking Matthew chapter six in the section on prayer in the in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at a few verses before we get there, just to give us a little context for the rest of our time in Lent. So Jesus says this. So when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners and be seen by other. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen." Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans or like the Gentiles, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. I love how Jesus begins this out. He says, and when you pray, because normally when you're talking to people about prayer, people kind of fit into two categories. Either you're religious people and you think, or spiritual people, and you think, yes, I pray. Or you're not a spiritual person, not religious person, and so, well, how do I engage this, this deity? And he just and Jesus addresses both groups of people. He starts out with the religious people, says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to seen by others. And what's interesting is no one likes the word hypocrites. Now the church has gotten a really bad rap because we're judgmental and hypocritical. I mean, that, you can ask anyone in America, and we are judgmental and we're hypocritical. But the truth is all humans are judgmental and hypocritical. That is the human condition. And you just need to own right now, just own, I am a hypocrite. You are. We are. Everyone and people in Marin County are the biggest hypocrites. We love our deep blueness. Yep. But we don't want to put, you know, um, wind turbines up on Mount Tam because that'll ruin the beauty. And we don't want to have low income housing because that'll like ruin our property value. Right? We're all hypocrites. Just own it. Just go, I'm a hypocrite. I am a hypocrite. When you own that, there's so much freedom to go, okay, now we can move forward. Because the deal is when we are hypocrites, all we're really doing is we all have our best intentions. We all view the world a certain way, and we all want what's best for the world. We all want what's best for our family. We all want what's best in our walk with God. We all want those things. But yet we, we never meet up. We never meet up to our own intentions. But because we know ourselves, we give ourselves a break. We're like, well, you know, I couldn't pull that off. Like, I give myself a break. But we don't give anybody else a break. But if we just own, all of us really long for the best things. And all of us just stumble and fall short. And so when you go, we don't want to be like the hypocrites. That simply means that it's not about our status. We say and we do things because we want to climb over people to prove to others that we are better, we are more noble, we are more religious, or whatever. But when we go, oh my goodness, I, hypocrisy is part of my thing, then it helps us step back and go, I don't need to like buffalo some over somebody. I need to step on somebody to prove how much more religious I am, how much more noble I am. We don't need to like climb on top of each other to prove to God that we're better either. That's not how it works. Right? God, right? God lifts up and exalts the humble. He crushes the proud. So when we're hypocrites. We go, okay. That's nothing to be proud of. No one goes, I'm a hypocrite. But in your heart, you go, I'm a hypocrite. We right, we walk just a little more loosely, I mean uh, lightly, we walk a little more lightly towards God. Now, this passage, thankfully in our church, I don't think we really have a culture where we sit around and we pray and we out pray each other. So I'm like, well, look at us. We're doing pretty good. But I'm like, oh my goodness, as a pastor, as a youth pastor, I just kind of hurt my heart because... All I do is public pray. I pray in front of you guys. When I pray for student ministry, my prayers right, are to teach these poor kids how to pray. This is how you pray. It's in me to want to show others how noble and right and true I am so you can trust me as your pastor. So no matter where you are in that, um, in, in the idea of hypocrisy and when you enge- engage God, we seem to have this attitude that is not about our status. We don't need to prove anything to each other. We don't need to teach anything to other. We don't need to prove anything to God. We come to God humbly, not with our status, not with our power, not with our pride, but seeking God's. He goes on to say and says, Don't be like the hypocrites, but then also don't be like the Gentiles. So when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans or the Gentiles, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This one I think is a little bit harder for our context. Because we all have so many desires. We have so many things that we need. We have so many things that we want. We have so many things that we say we need, but we really just want. And we, our, our, uh, our barometer of what we need and what we want is totally messed up. And so everything we want is what we need. And so we start freaking out when things don't go our way. And people who aren't Christians, right, they, and in our context, right, we just work hard. We work, 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 work until we sometimes, until we can't, and then those people just kind of fall off the planet. But in the Christian context, in the, in the religious context, we start like getting, we hyperventilate with our prayers. We start praying in a way where we're trying to make sure God hears us, and we just say the same thing over and over and over and over again. And like when we get our, our weekly, right, uh, we do our prayer requests um, in church, and we get to pray over those every week. And some of us, right, we pray the exact same thing every week, every week, every week, and there's this delicate balance, right, of being consistent in leaning into prayer and wanting God to show up in this way, in this way, in this way, in this way. But maybe at some point we need to step back and go, God, if you're not going to show up in this way, well, what way are you going to show up? And so when we think of how not to pray. We don't we're not people who our desires are what's first. And that we do everything we can to get God's attention. And, uh, and young, younger people do this the worst. Um, I, well, maybe I just don't do it this way anymore, but I did it all the time. When I didn't study for a test, right, and you walk into the finals, you're like, God, if you just show up this one time, if you help me with this one test, you do this thing for me, I'll do this thing for you. And we all have our own little deals that we make. God, if you just do this for my mom, I'll, I'll show up for you. If you do this for my family, if you, right? And, we're, and when we bargain with God, like, think about how silly that is. Your kid comes up to you, you've provided every single thing for them. They're like, Dad, if you just give me this, I'll give you five cents. I'll give you, I'll give you a dollar. And you're like, that's sweet, right? God's like, that's sweet. So don't be like them. When we pray, we don't, need to rec- it's not, we don't lead with our status. We don't lead with our desires. When we pray, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And he changes the entire paradigm on its head. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The whole beginning of the Lord's Prayer turns this idea of my needs, I mean of of my status, my pride. I'm the center of the world. This is who I am, and this is why you should listen to me, God. Turns it up on its head, and the whole beginning of the prayer is recognizing that it's God who's in control. He is alone worthy of honor and praise. He is the one who is our heavenly father. So we get to engage in him relationally and we submit to him, to his rules, to his world, to his, the way he doles out his goodies. It's about God's will. Not about my will. It's about God's will. And so when we pray, we stop and we pray recognizing it is God's will. Boy, what a hard discipline! Every time I pray, and I'm, I'm a pastor; this is my job. I should be a great prayer by now. And as I flip through my journal, most of my journal are all these things that I spin out about. God, help me with this, and get my help. Help me figure this thing out. And what are you going to do here? And, blah, 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 and I just—it's it's all freak out. Jesus, like when you pray, you don't say you don't freak out. <laughs> you begin with Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. It is about your kingdom coming, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the beginning of prayer. When Jesus says, this is how to pray, this is the beginning. And then what's interesting, the last three lines, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and and those who have, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors or sins or trespasses, depending on your translation, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Even these last three, Instead of being about our desires, it truly is about our needs. What do we really need? Our daily needs. All of my daily needs are set. My fridge and my cupboard is set. I'm set for a week at least. I'm set. What are my daily needs? I'm so comfortable with my daily needs that I'm thinking, I have 10-year-from-now needs. And God, you better show up now to help me in my 10-year-from-now needs. And Jesus is like, oh, my gosh, no. My daily needs. Give me today my daily bread. And what a different way to engage God. God, what do do I need today? What do I need spiritually to engage today? What is going to happen in my world today? And I need you, God. What do I need today in my daily bread? It's about God's provision for today. It's about our God's provision relationally. God, forgive me. And a lot of us, we love asking God for forgiveness, The whole good news of the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross, took the punishment of sin, the debt of sin, paid all of our debt, so we're free, so we're atoned for our sins, so we now have a right relationship with God, right standing with God. There's nothing between us. God forgives us. We love that. It is good news. But it's, what's interesting is when Jesus says, teach me how to pray, it's not just God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, thanks, 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 thanks. It's not just cheap grace. It's, this, it's a spiritual discipline of God. You forgive me as I forgive other people. And all of us have this small handful of people that we do not want to forgive, who have wronged us in the deepest and most horrific ways and do not deserve our forgiveness. Maybe God's because God's really big and powerful and maybe God can do that, but there's no way we can do that. And there's this spiritual discipline that when we pray, we have to be formed by God. Not just in receiving forgiveness, but extending forgiveness. It's about God providing for us in relationally. And lastly, it's about God um, providing for us spiritually. Lead us not into temptation. And every single person in this room is simply three bad choices from ending up in jail or dead or your life ruined. Three bad choices. That is it. It is a perilous perilous world with a perilous perilous walk that we're invited to walk into and we have to be on guard we have to be noble people who pursue holiness that God has for us and the way we do it is by we recognize that there is temptation we recognize that there is evil we don't just think life is all great and away we go we recognize that there is a perilous dark evil world full of death and destruction and temptation and we need Jesus to lead us on a path away from that This then is how you should pray. And over the next six weeks, I'm so excited to sit in church and to learn and to study about how to pray. And so as we enter into Lent, as we do Lent, we're going to recognize that our prayer life is central to our walk with God, It is central to our faith. And the only way that we're going to grow and be the maturing Christians that God has for us to be be, is to pray the way that Jesus taught us, centering on God's will and then on God's provision. So that's a—I don't want to take everyone's thunder. I had so many great thoughts, and so, Greg, I'll tell you all the things I learned for your sermon next week. But <laughs> I do have two quick things I want to share with you as, uh, as I was reflecting on just this general overview, some couple things to think about uh, as, we, um, as we head into the rest of our season here. And this is one. Uh, when you think of the Lord's Prayer, um, it is rote. If some of you grew up in Catholic churches or more liturgical churches, it is in your DNA. You say it every day. It's in you. And some of us who grew up in evangelical settings are like, why would you ever say the same thing over and over again? That's not authentic and that's not meaningful. And so the question is, is the Lord's Prayer meant to be said and wrote in repetition? Or is it simply a plan and a template of how to pray? And the great answer is yes. And so we're going to look at both those answers. So the first is that I think God is inviting us, Jesus is inviting us to pray religiously. And many of us come to this church because we have weird religious baggage. And so when we think of religion, religiosity, that doesn't feel right to us. But just because you may have had a bad experience at one point doesn't mean that religion, doesn't mean that even religiosity, doesn't mean that rote prayers are bad. There's something to be said about a prayer that Jesus commands his disciples to, pre- to, to, to pray. This, then, is how you should pray. What's interesting is as early as 100 um, years after Jesus, uh, there was this catechism called um, the Didache. And basically it was a collection of all the apostles' teachings. It was basically coming up with a catechism, a way to teach the followers of Jesus, this is what to believe, this is the spiritual practices to do. And in that document is the Lord's Prayer. Right? It, it was designed to be a religious thing, to be a rope pray that we can together pray this prayer, our Father who art in heaven. It's a religious thing. And there's, there's something noble about it. And it's weird. We all are religious about the things that we love. Right. If you love and want to be a good musician, you have to be religious in how you practice your scales. If you are a dancer, you have to be religious in how you practice all your positions. I I almost got fifth position down. Right. You have to have these things. If you um, are an artist, you have to be religious about how you do your craft. Religion it is in us. It is these small over and over wrote things that God uses to make us masters at them. And why would not the same thing be true for prayer? There are prayers that God invites us to pray that the Christian church for 2,000 years has affirmed said, when you pray these things, you'll grow in your walk with God. And so we're to pray these things in, in, a, religious w- excuse me, in, a, in a religious way. Um, and I know this, is, this might be controversial, but I'm just going to put it out there. I think that we need Valentine's Day. I know there's many of you haters out there, but <laughs> just, just hear, from, hear me out on this, okay? Remember when you were in love, Remember back when you were way in love, like when you didn't, it didn't matter if you ate, it didn't matter if you slept, it didn't matter if you failed out of school. Um, Katie w- uh, went to college at U- uh, Chico State, I went to college at UC Santa Barbara, and I would drive 12 hours, hang out with her all day Saturday, drive all the way back so I can go back to school. And then by my senior year, I like, didn't care about school anymore, so I stayed longer. But there was a season, right, when I was so in love, I didn't care about school, I didn't care about the cost, I didn't care about any of it because I was so in love. Now, I'm still in love. I love Katie. We've been married for almost 20 years. But there's this weird thing about Valentine's Day, about your anniversary. It's this marker. It's this moment. It's this time of the year where you say, hey, you still in love? Remember me? Flowers, chocolate, nice things. So I have to confess this year we've been married almost 20 years. Katie knows I love her. I mean, I'm a good husband. I love her, love her. And it's been a really hard season for our family for a number of different reasons. And so Kay said, listen, Ben, it's been crazy and hard and we're still recovering from Christmas. So let's just do a light Valentine's Day. I just got something light for the kids, but let's just, we won't really celebrate this year. And like an idiot, I believed her. (laughs) I know. I told Art and he's like, you are an idiot. But I mean, that's how, I mean, that's how like just tired I was. That's how just stressed out I was. And so I was like, oh, this is great. She knows I love her. I love her. We're golden. So we have dinner. We end up not going out to dinner. We end up making something. Katie ended up, she's like, well, if Ben's not going to do anything, she made like a nice dinner. I'm like, oh, it was a nice dinner. And uh, and we end up getting in a fight about something that had nothing to do with Valentine's Day, which then turned out to be everything about Valentine's Day, right? (laughs) Because there's this marker that says every year, do you still love me the way that you used to love me? And this year I got to go, oh, my God, maybe I don't. What happened? How did I just let it go? What happened in my walk, in my life, in my uh, love with Kay that I just went, yeah, this year we can can just have dinner. What happened in me? And I got to go, oh, this is what happened. This is how to fix it. This is to get on the right back road. And religion does that. Those markers do those things that put us before a moment. And we get to see, am I still doing okay? And we have to be religious people. We have to pray religiously. Lent is a religious season. It is a marker where every year we get to have a gut check and we get to go, what is dying in me? What needs to die in me? What is mourning in me? How do I engage God in a deeper way? What are new sins? What are new layers of the onion that God wants to uncork in me and reveal and have his way in me? And Lent moves us towards Easter where we celebrate the good news that Jesus is alive. And so for Lent, we're going to study the Lord's Prayer. For Lent, we're as a church, we're inviting everyone to fast, to give up something, so that our taste buds, our part of our body, our rhythms of our lives change in such a way so that we actually are anticipating the coming of Jesus, that we realize that we don't need all these other things to satisfy and fulfill us, but that we need Jesus to satisfy and fulfill us. And if we just live our lives being a religious people, we go, yeah, if I love God, I'll do it. But being religious people means, man, at least once a year, I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to say, do I love Jesus more than this? And so we have to be religious people and we have to pray religiously. Um, There's this great quote that I came up in my study this last week and I just want to read it to you. It says this in a second. Prayer is not the communication of information. It is still less as a technique for getting things from God, but as the expression of the relationship of trust which follows from it. And I love this idea that prayer is not this thing that we use to get our way. Prayer is not this thing in order to get God's attention, but it is simply—it's um, an expression of our relationship of trust. We, as kids, show up, and God says, "This is how to pray. Me, as your Father, I have these things for you." And so we, we don't just pray religiously. We have to pray relationally. We pray in such a way that we are engaged with God, not as a deity, but as our heavenly father who loves us, who longs for us to be with us. For those of us who are parents, and all of us have been kids at one point, our parents want us to be a certain way. They've trained us to be a certain way. They've said, walk in this path. They work really hard in instilling values. In us, And the same way is true with God. God is our heavenly father. He wants to teach us how to walk with him, how to become more and more like him. Um, he says to be holy because I am holy. I don't know if you've ever come across this book, but there's this book called The Five Love Languages. It's a great book. And basically the simple premise is this. We all um, love in the way that we want to be loved. But we're really different. And some people want to be loved differently than the way I want to be loved. And if you express love one way and someone doesn't receive that way, then you can be in big trouble. And I think that happens in our walk with God. I know how I want to be loved, and I want to love God in a certain way. But God's like, no. Instead of reading the five languages, simply just read Scripture, and you'll see this is what it means to love me. You want to love me? Then live this way. You want to love me? Then pray this way. That Jesus is inviting us to be in this deep uh, relationship with God. And the way that we pray is a way um, that forms us, that puts God in his right place. We don't just hang out with God. We don't just go, hey, what up, God? We don't just, we don't nag God, but we love God in the way that he wants to be loved, which is simply to be revered, to be worshiped, to, be re- to recognize that he is God and we are not. I don't know if there's other angry dads in the room, but the, I do a great job until me as dad gets questioned. Right? I can love, I can be gracious, I can do whatever I want, I can be generous, I can do every single thing. But the second me as dad gets questioned, it is no bueno for my kids, huh, son? I know. It is brutal. And so Jesus says this in the same way, God is our Heavenly Father. That is the way in which we are to engage in Him. So we are to pray religiously and we are to pray relationally. And over these next six weeks, um, I would just encourage you—in um, fact, I've started this week starting and ending my day. Greg's been doing this for a long, long time, but I've just been starting, at least for this Lent discipline, to begin and end my day with the Lord's Prayer. And it's weird because I don't want to do it. That's what I've noticed in me. I'm like, this is boring every day. What about it? And, and all of a sudden, now, now I'm forced to wrestle with what is in me. Why? I, I pretend that, oh, it's because I'm not religious, but there's something in me. And now I'm doing this spiritual work that I was not even prepared to do, even just getting ready for this sermon. And so for six weeks, as we study the Lord's Prayer, as we fast and recognize what God might have for us, I would just encourage you and invite you to maybe take a step towards Jesus this, this Lenten season and do a simple religious thing and to add the Lord's Prayer as part of your diet. We're going to study it every Sunday. And by the end of Lent, man, How crazy if God formed us that we are people who recognize that it's about God and His will. And we leaned into God's provisions for the things that we need for today. Now, um, I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to, every week for the Lent, we're going to do a little prayer exercise. um, And this week is the beginning of Lent. And so you're going to get an opportunity to participate. And we're just going to do something really simple. There's a note card in front of you. There's a piece of paper. And I would just like you to think of this. One sentence. God, what do I need? We all know what we want, and sometimes what we want and what we need are so enmeshed and we need those things. That God is not so over us that he doesn't recognize that we have needs, that we have felt needs. God knows that we have felt needs. God knows that we have desires. Just God longs for to, to work those out in a, in a certain way. In the, in the passage that we read earlier, it said this, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Then this is how you should pray. And so as we get ready to come and do our Lenten series together, as we get into the season of praying the Lord's Prayer over and over again, it would just be nice to reflect and say, God, but what do I need? And to present that towards God and see which and how God might show up and answer that, how God might tweak that, how God might tweak our heart in that. So let me pray for us. And then um, in a little bit, when, when the band starts playing, um, you're going to be able to take those things that you write down um, and bring them up here um, to the tables and the offering baskets. And we'll also be collecting our tithes and offerings at the same time. And, uh, and we're going to use these little note cards uh, that, that, we, that we write down as a church for us all as a church to be encouraged and to pray for each other. So don't write anything specifically, uh, too specific, because we're going to share these uh, with our whole community so we know, man, what's going on in the heart of our people so we can lean in and trust God more. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll do that. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, you know the state of our soul. And at our worst, we can be like Casey Affleck and just say, I cannot beat it whatever it is. But we have hope because of your son, Jesus, because of the way that you've invaded earth and made a way for us to encounter you, to be forgiven by you, to be transformed by you. And in this Lenten season, God, we pray that you would have your way with us, that you would mold us and shape us, tune our hearts to your will, to your glory. And may you meet our needs as we figure out what those are. Amen and amen.